working is still a well recognized international exchange. For example, the market value of shares are being traded is exceeding say six trillion US dollar, and just after the two US market. And also, um, there are fewer restrictions as well as limitation imposed on the international investor. And therefore, I will continue to see the Hong Kong stock exchange to be um, say attractive to China-based tech and also innovative company to cater for say broadening broadening their shoulder base as well as um, with an intention to internationalize their brand and also their operation. Do you think there could be maybe a new stock connect between the Beijing Stock yeah, Exchange and the Hong Kong certainly, Exchange? Certainly. Yeah. Mm. And also, um, you mentioned about the listed company on Jamboard that um, uh, they may also consider whether they have a dual listing on the mm. Samsei China platform too. Okay, Wilson, thank you very much. Always good to see you. <laughs> That's you. Wilson Chow, partner and global TMT leader at PwC China. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. Everything trading in the red. The SX200 in Australia off about 0.6%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down about half a percent. The Cosby in South Korea is off 0.4%. And futures markets indicating the Hang Seng is going to open about 200 points later, uh, lower in just an, under an hour's time. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Jim Gordon and Andrew Work. The weather forecast, mainly fine and very hot. There's a maximum temperature of around 34 degrees. The very hot weather warning is in force. The outlook, squally thunderstorms tomorrow, sunny intervals and thunderstorms over the weekend. 29 degrees right now, 73% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32, here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. An artist and architect says it'll be a challenge to open a contemporary arts museum in the midst of a pandemic which has badly crippled the tourist sector. Raymond Fung, a member of the Development Committee of the West Kowloon Cultural District Authority, hailed the opening of M-Plus as an important milestone for arts development in Hong Kong. It's to open on November the 12th after a four-year delay. Mr Fung told RTHK that the museum made the decision to allow Hong Kong residents free entry for the first year to help boost visitor numbers during the pandemic. We know we have this sort of situation. Therefore, we're talking about having free of charge for Hong Kong people and hoping to see progress you know, in terms of visitors. And by then, maybe you know, mainlanders come to Hong Kong after some months, and that will take some time to see how it works. Unions have condemned Cathay Pacific for its decision yesterday to fire flight crew who haven't been vaccinated against COVID-19. Meanwhile, the Labour Department urged employers to consider moving unvaccinated staff to other duties if necessary. Priscilla Ung has the details. Cathay Pacific had earlier warned pilots and flight crew that it would review their employment status if they had not taken at least one dose of a COVID vaccine or produced proof of medical exemption by September the 1st. Now, a week later, the airline has confirmed that staff who failed to get the jab are out of a job. The carriers said a small number of crew were affected but did not give an exact number. It said control measures implemented around the world had made it difficult to arrange duties for unvaccinated crew. It said only inoculated employees had been in the air since the start of this month. More than three weeks after leaving Afghanistan, the former president, Ashraf Ghani, has released a statement about why he fled the country when the Taliban took Kabul. Mr Ghani apologised for what he said was the way things ended, but denied he took millions of US dollars with him during his escape. A close aide to Mr Ghani, Sawa Ahmedzai, said the former leader was trying to avoid bloodshed in the nation's capital. Street-to-street uh, street fighting 
would have resulted in thousands of innocent civilians dead and probably destructions to private and public properties. And that's why he preferred not to fight and uh, uh, peacefully surrender the city to Taliban. Meanwhile, dozens of women have marched through the streets of the capital Kabul and in the northeastern Badakhshan province to protest at the announcement of an interim Taliban government with no female representatives. Some were reportedly beaten before the protests were dispersed. The global coronavirus vaccine initiative COVAX says it has had to cut estimates for the doses it expects to have access to this year by more than a quarter. It blames export bans, challenges in production and delays in regulatory approval. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould. Your co-host today is Andrew Work. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Jim. This morning we're talking about the Shanghai Economic Cooperation Zone and uh, later on in the second half of the programme we'll, we'll be discussing uh, uh, the opening of Hong Kong's uh, third runway at the airport, which is due next year. Um, so... Um, on today's programme, the main topic, the Shanghai Economic Cooperation Zone, um, it, uh, in Shenzhen, it will see its size increase by about eight times as part of a plan to foster closer business and technology ties uh, with Hong Kong and to help in the development of the Greater Bay Area. The project includes plans to attract universities from Hong Kong, Macau and overseas to set up branches there. And finance companies will be allowed to provide cross-border services. Business groups have welcomed the potential opportunities and benefits, but say the governments on the two sides need to work out a number of arrangements. You can let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And this morning uh, we have with us in our Admiralty studio Frederick Gollop, who's the chairman of the European Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong. Um, also on the line, uh, Whitman Hung, a principal liaison officer for Hong Kong at the Shenzhen Shanghai Authority and National People's Congress deputy. Um, perhaps uh, if we could start with you, uh, Whitman Hung, uh, good morning to you. So this sounds uh, very promising uh, on the surface. Uh, w what op opportunity? What are the main opportunities uh, going to be uh, for Hong Kong businesses? Um, if we read this document, it actually says deepen reform and open up. And, and in my reading, it's deepen reform and wider open up. Um, basically, uh, what we're doing is to you know allow more Hong Kong professionals as well as the uh, finance sector to come into Shanghai, uh, as some of these uh, used to be, re well, they still be regulated, but, uh, but there will be more openings. Uh, just like what you man just mentioned, you know, so, uh, allowing some of the financial institutions and insurance companies to come in to help Chinese community companies going out, as well as will be, they will be losing, uh, loosening the, some of the uh, uh, restrictions on Hong Kong professionals working in the zone. Is, is that the main detail? Because the, I, most of the news reports don't give a lot of detail. It seems very high level and, and more kind of broad it, 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 philosophy. It is, it, is, it is quite broad and high level because this is a document from the Central Committee of the Communist Party of China and uh, the State Council. So at that level, they don't you know, list out all the details. I mean, the details need to be ironed out by the local Shenzhen government, the Shanghai Authority, as well as potentially um, some arrangement with the FAR government. 
But when, okay. you, when, you, when you say deepening reform and wider opening up, uh, any examples of what you might expect to see? Uh, yeah, well, a small example, for example. Uh, the, uh, we have been uh, cooperating with the Development Bureau of Hong Kong government on recognizing the professional uh, you know, qualifications of all um, professionals in the building and construction industry, such as engineers, uh, architects, and surveyors. Uh, we started this in 2015. At that time, it was only about uh, projects that owned by Hong Kong developers. Um, but then further, we found that they, because there's actually no such a term as surveyor in China, I mean, there's a, there's a bit, the professional qualification is a bit different. So we created a matching table last year so that we know that um, by calling somebody quantitative surveyor in Hong Kong, they would be called as a quantitative uh, appraising engineer in, in China. So um, this has been going on for a while, but um, in this document, you also said, well, maybe we can expand the scope. I think expanding the scope could be meaning that uh, non-Hong Kong developers can also use these professionals. This is just a small example. Uh, there will be another, uh, there's another mention is to allow Hong Kong lawyers to act as expert witnesses in, or experts uh, in the uh, courts of Shanghai to explain Hong Kong laws. Uh, because in the past we have already, uh, what we have already done is that any commercial dispute that involves a Hong Kong entity um, can use Hong Kong law in the court of Shanghai. So these are just two examples. So, so all this needs to be you know, specified in particular areas. And does this, is this, uh, like it almost sounds like they're setting it up as a, a little bit of an offshore corporate sector where you can put your companies there, you can choose your, you know, when you write your contracts, choose to have your arbitration conducted there using Hong Kong law, should it be required? I mean, is, is that the idea? It's, it's starting to sound like a little bit of an offshore, like a little bit yeah, of a miniature offshore finance center. I would say, yeah, that's part of the idea. I mean, that's when we think it first started. Um, if you look at um, the financial sector, for example, I mean, Shanghai is also part of you know, mainland, and then there are restrictions, for example, about funds coming in or going out, foreign currency, things like that. But then there are different, uh, you know, licenses or re regulated licenses uh, given to uh, financial institutions that allow them to do such things. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what we call uh, Qualified Foreign Limited Partnership, QFLP, and Qualified Domestic Investment Enterprise, QVIU, which is money coming out and money going in. Uh, they still be regulated, but then at least you have, a, you know, a tunnel. Um, and that uh, also, that's already in the past what we will have done. But what um, this new document said is they will, they are considering of awarding licenses to uh, qualified companies to do cross-border uh, uh, stocks uh, and, uh, and uh, securities uh, investment. Okay, okay uh, uh, Frederick Golub, uh, Chair of the European Chamber of Commerce, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks so, for having me. So um, what are your members saying about the expansion of the Shanghai zone and what opportunities do they think may be there? Well, I think in general, this is uh, an example of uh, making the Greater Bay Area happen. Um, uh, at the moment, amongst our members, we are still at a level to understand what are the concrete measures to make 
uh, Greater Bay Area happen. And this is something where Shanghai is a, is a perfect example, where in principle the opportunities are obvious uh, for companies. For example, as Whitman said, in the construction sector, services industries, law firms, uh, insurance companies, and so forth. So on paper, that's all good, great opportunities also for European companies. Uh, but it's really about the details. How do we activate that bridge? How can we have people crossing the border smoothly in, in their work routine uh, and so forth? So it holds true for, for people, uh, assets, goods, um, financial flows, etc. So, Frederick, you, you can do some on-air lobbying to form the future of Shanghai right now. You've got the liaison uh, for Hong Kong <laughs> to the authority. What, what, do you, what message would you want Whitman to take to the Shanghai uh, authority? I think it's really those steps which make it very transparent how we can use it. Tell us, tell us what is the path uh, into uh, uh, the Greater Bay Area and, and perfectly also into into a Shanghai uh, uh, area in Shenzhen, which currently is is basically a, a huge construction site. So I think uh, the more we find concrete regulation, for example, uh, on taxation, uh, I think we have seen some movements on on, on income taxation, for example. Uh, it, real life usually looks like that that you wouldn't go in and out on a daily basis. Many professionals will stay for a couple of days, uh, weeks, even months, uh, but having their main uh, place of living still in Hong Kong, uh, potentially. Uh, and there, I think, in, in, in on this level of details, we haven't seen, uh, on, neither on the Hong Kong side nor uh, in, in, in on the Shenzhen and Guangdong side, uh, the, the measures which we would need to see to anticipate how big is the potential? How can we leverage this potential? Mm. Because this is where deciders, uh, on this level, deciders think and plan and uh, that's still missing. We have a huge bridge uh, going over, uh, and there's, and even before uh, the border were closed, uh, there was rarely any cars on it. Uh, the trains, the fast trains, are, are pretty much empty. So the infrastructure is there, but we don't know how to use it. So ra rather than waiting to see what comes, are you, are you going to be preparing a document, making recommendations, saying here's what you should do, here's what our members want? Yeah, exactly. So this is this is the stage we're we're at. So in the chamber, and and this is true for many business chambers, uh, Greater Bay Area is one of the main topics. And uh, the the example of Chennai is a is a really good example to make it more tangible because now we have one step further, um, uh, knowing what is the target uh, for that particular area, and now we can basically formulate our. Uh, questions uh, and recommendations um, to the government. So that's happening as we speak. Um, uh, Whitman Hung, uh, the, the statement from the uh, State Council talks about the, the blueprint was formulated to help Chiang better play an exemplary and leading role in the development of the Guangdong, Hong Kong, Macau, Greater Bay Area. Um, how, how is Chiang going to be able to play an exemplary and leading role? I think uh, this has been the case ever since Chiang was established. That was actually way be, uh, before the GBA was, uh, you know, formulated. Basically, it's a testing bed. A lot of these things, um, the taxation uh, example, I, I'm sorry, I think I, I probably is the lacking of communication uh, between me and the European community. I need to do more, you know, be better at my job. But uh, Okay, well, uh, let, let, let's use, but, this, but for use is, this program is, to do so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's explanatory. <laughs> Uh, examples is, is that um, once this uh, taxation, uh, you know, benefit uh, has been introduced in uh, Shanghai since 2015 or 14, I think, and then it now has been expanded to the whole Greater Bay Area. So this is an example of you know how you test a new policy, test a new law in Shanghai zone alone, 
and then when it's established and proven, then you know, then you can do it in other places of GBA, or for that matter, to the whole of China. Uh, there are very small. There are a lot of very small things like this. I mean, we have, uh, according uh, to the document, uh, you know, I have seen that the, like 67 this kind of innovative new systematic changes, including some regulations uh, that have been uh, now, uh, you know, uh, populated to the whole country or at least the GBA. So that was the. Hello. As you know, in GBA, it's a one country, two systems. So there are two systems. Mm. The two systems are not, you know, they, they have to be connected, okay? It, it, it's not the same system, it will never be the same system, but you need to connect them, right? So in Shanghai, that's exactly what we do is we connect them. The, like the, in the building industry, we try to recognize Hong Kong qualifications. In the finance industry, we also recognize the number nine license of the Hong Kong uh, so that uh, they can do other things similar to, you know, asset management. Gotcha. Different kind of in China, yeah. Hey, you're, the, you're the principal liaison officer. Uh, you, you've got the European Chamber here. Who else have you been liaising with to take advice or messages on, on what Hong Kongers think would make this work? Are you, are you speaking to other business groups or professional groups? Yeah, Can you yes, give us some examples? I have been, uh, ever since I was on board on, uh, you know, in 2014, I've been communicating. I mean, I'm, you know, also, the M-Chamber, British-Chamber, I think, in the past, but not, never the European Chamber, my mistake. But then... Um, uh, the, all the four local chambers, uh, the professional groups like Hong Kong Institute of Eng Engineers, Hong Kong, you know, uh, Society of Accountants, mm -hmm. um, the banking finance sectors, the insurance sectors, you know, uh, 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 I can't remember, it's like almost every sector and including young entrepreneurs and all these new uh, business like cross-border e-commerce and the various uh, business uh, groups that have been communicating almost on a weekly basis. Um, one issue that uh, uh, Frederick Golub uh, referred to just now was uh, access. Um, of course, uh, uh, for, for Hong Kong business people, uh, for locally born business people, uh, have a home visit permits. It's easy for them to go to Shenzhen across the border. Um, not so easy, obviously, for, for European business people who don't have that. Um, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, in my other capacity, which is the MPC deputy, I have actually written twice, and this year particularly, a proposal to the central government. Uh, because actually, the, as you know, crossing border, the immigration uh, 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 the responsibility is not controlled by the local government. So I've written to the, uh, the, the central government that they should issue a travel card for the non-Chinese residents in Hong Kong. Uh, I actually got a formal reply from the Ministry of uh, which is equivalent to the Ministry of uh, uh, the Public Security. They call me up and, and write me... Uh mm. uh, sorry, uh, Whitman Hunger, you're breaking up slightly. I think we've temporarily lost you. Um, and per perhaps we, we, if, we, if we get you back, you can... Uh, uh, continue explaining that, but uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, uh, Fr Frederick Golub, um, how does that sound? What uh, Whitman Hung was just saying. So uh, moves are being made anyway to try to get some, you know, you know better access for European business people. Yeah, I, I would have loved to to to, to uh, hear his answer on what the reply was because I think such a a travel card. Uh, uh, for, for non-Chinese travelers uh, who are not able to go um, uh, easily across the border on a daily, weekly, whatever basis. Um, that's, that's something um, we, we would need to see. Um, how can we make it um, as easy as possible 
um, to to go in and out Greater Bay Area um, for, from both ends, actually, uh, to make it happen? How can we benefit uh, still from a great airport, which is massively uh, expanding, which is great, uh, which we really welcome as a business community, but how can we make use of that in uh, the light of Greater Bay Area? Uh, and therefore, those measures, uh, how can we, how can cars move freely in and out without those number pl plate restrictions? Uh, not many people can afford actually dual number plate. The, the chief executive has made announcements which were um, broad, rather broad, on, on, on these kinds of uh, uh, regulations coming up. And, hey, we, we would love to sit at a table and uh, together with our member chambers um, uh, to, to, to see what are the concrete measures coming up. We're happy to give our suggestions. But so far, this um, detailed communication on that level um, besides discussing the opportunities, which are obvious, we don't need to discuss, continue to discuss the opportunities of Greater Bay Area and Chinhai in particular. Uh, we would need to go on a level where we discuss the concrete measures which make then the magic happen on the ground. Mm. Okay, uh, I think we have uh, Whitman Hung back. Uh, hello. Sorry, sorry about sorry about that. Yeah, we got cut off. Yeah, yeah you were ex you're explaining about uh, you've made representations yeah, about access. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, the uh, the ministry has replied to me that uh, under the current current law they can't do that. Uh, they they suggest that I should, as an NPC delegate, talk to higher bodies to change the law. But in the meantime, um, they, uh, they what they're saying is that they're being more lenient in giving out you know visas and uh, like the number of years instead of giving the six months they were giving out three years or five years visas for frequent travelers in the Greater Bay Area, and that's uh, what they would be doing. Um, and uh, I, I just the other mentioning about this uh, the you know uh, sing, what we call single way traveling of Hong Kong cars without the number plate through the bridge. Uh, I was the first proposer of this actually a few years back. Um, from my understanding, that it, it's already been uh, agreed that it can be done. The Guangdong province uh, uh, they, they uh, welcome this. Uh, what they need to sort out right now is just the insurance uh, issue, you know, insurance covering, you know, all three areas, including Macau and, 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 uh, and then China and Hong Kong. And once they sort that out, uh, this should be launched. Okay, okay. Um, well, we're also joined by uh, Ho Lok Sang, who's the director of the Pansu Tong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Ling Lingnan University. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. So, how significant do you see this development, this uh, this huge expansion of the Shanghai Economic Cooperation Zone? Well, I think this is fantastic. Uh, first of all, uh, the Shanghai project is, uh, uh, in my mind, it's uh, um, a very bold experiment uh, to introduce Hong Kong ways and uh, institutions into onto the mainland, and they just try it out in a very small plot, and now they're expanding it. Uh, um, uh, and uh, the the area is now 120 kilom uh, square kilometers, and that is about one ninth of uh, Hong Kong uh, wide territory area. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's actually it's actually bigger than Hong Kong Island. You see, Hong, all of Hong Kong is just eleven just uh, eleven thousand square kilometers. Now it's 120 square kilometers, right? In the expanded Shanghai. Uh, so it actually will reduce the pressures on on land demand in Hong Kong. So, so I so I think it is great, you know, because uh, um, uh, we have been constrained, you know, by by land supply. It's not house, not only housing, but uh, in particular, uh, 
commerce in industrial uh, use areas are also very much uh, constrained. So, so I think uh, that that is that is great. Mm. Is it going to be a little bit like? I mean, in Shanghai they had Shanghai, then they had Pudong, then they had this extra free trade area in Pudong because. You know, Pudong, of course, was just a huge smashing success, but it, you know, they felt like they had to have another free trade zone because it, they never really loosened up regulations the way they thought they would. And that one in Shanghai still hasn't really delivered on that. I mean, there's enough domestic business that it always ends up, you know, mm. being filled up with people in business, so it's fine. <clears throat> but they never really, you know, the, the loosening of the regulations never really seems to develop uh, the way that people think it will. I mean, is there a reason we should be more optimistic for this one? Well, uh, first of all, you know that uh, China has always been very uh, cautious in mm -hmm. introducing new uh, policies and institutions. And uh, so uh, it's understandable that they are quite uh, cautious, but they are trying this and that. And uh, I can see that in Tianhai, uh, they are actually trying to introduce, uh, um, like, uh, uh, legal practices in Hong Kong, mm -hmm. uh, in, in Shanghai. And uh, that's very important, you know, because uh, it, this is going to be uh, a, uh, you know, the focus is on uh, modern services and uh, uh, a legal framework that people are comfortable with uh, will, will, will go a long way. How about, how about currency controls? Do, do any of you, whether it's Whitman or Frederick, do you have any kind of an idea? Uh, if, if currency controls are going to be more like Hong Kong or more like China, because if, if companies are deciding whether or not to establish a company there for legal reasons, because they like a, the legal system a little better, uh, are they still going to feel comfortable that they can move their money in and out at will? I mean, do we have any indication on that yet? I, I haven't seen anything to that effect, though. No? Whitman? Uh, How about Whitman Hung? So, oh, sorry, so, uh, um, notes, or Frederick uh, Whit yeah. Whitman was just with us until until ten to nine. Yeah. Whitman is not here. Yeah, I, I have no idea about that. Uh, but uh, as far as I can see, uh, um, the RMB is becoming more and more convertible mm. in many ways. Uh, so um, I think the concern about. Uh, um, uh, I mean, the central government is very much uh, aware of that uh, problem mm -hmm. and will seek to alleviate the problem. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty confident about that. Frederick, is that going to go on your list of recommendations? Uh, well, it is, and um, it's something, I mean, I've seen it uh, over the recent uh, days also in, in, in many coverage, uh, that, that this is an issue which has been identified, and that's the same uh, for our community. And, and that will be one of the issues on the list, certainly. Okay. Yeah, because cur currency, you know, currency in the movement, of course, is big for companies. Um, uh, Holak Sang, what, what else are you anticipating outside of the professional realm? What other, what other uh, advances can we expect? Well, they are focusing on actually two, two, two things, and both are innovation. One is uh, what they call systematic innovation or institutional innovation. So they're introducing into, uh, 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 Hong Kong ways of uh, Hong Kong-style institutions in, on, on, onto Shanghai. Uh, That's number one. Second part is innovations in, uh, in other kinds of technology, you know, inclu including uh, like blockchain and, you know, the application of blockchain and uh, um, other uh, AI and so on, you know. Mm. Uh, so so uh, uh, they are doing it both on the 
what I call soft infrastructure part, which is, has to do with institutions and the uh, more uh, uh, hardcore uh, te technological innovations too. So, so they are trying to in uh, encourage more innovative firms to go, uh, to, uh, um, uh, go to Shanghai. And uh, many of them are based, originally based in Hong Kong. You see, Hong, Hong Kong is not short of talents uh, for, for innovations. They have fantastic uh, uh, achievements so far. Hmm. Um, uh, Frederick Golub, um, are there any hurdles uh, in doing um, uh, this kind of uh, cross-border business in terms of um, dealing in different currencies, different currencies, different tax regimes and so on? Certainly. So we have two systems, obviously. Um, and uh, in, in order to fully activate, we need to know how we can, uh, from, a, from a regulatory perspective, bring those two systems uh, in, in congruence so that we can work with this smoothly. And taxation, I mentioned that, is, is a big issue. Uh, um, movement of capital, currency um, uh, issues, uh, all the things, m movement of people. Um, I mean, we're working in two different legal systems uh, as well. Uh, you can say on the one hand side, this is a massive opportunity for Hong Kong-based law firms, which it definitely is. On the other hand, it's, it's a higher complexity for, for companies who would like to work on both ends. And certainly, we're not starting here from zero. It's, it's, I mean, we have many companies who already uh, work on, on, on both sides uh, off the border. And uh, we see the huge potential. And in, in the, if we manage to go down a route, whereas uh, um, we find regu common regulations uh, on, on important issues, such as taxation and so forth, then I, I think we can really unleash the potential uh, of, of Greater Bay Area for the benefit of Hong Kong companies, for the benefit of international companies, European companies, uh, and the mainland China as okay, well. Okay, okay, great. Well, stay with us. Uh, we've got to take a short break for the news at nine o'clock. Uh, we're talking about the Shanghai Economic Cooperation Zone. Uh, a quick look at the weather. Uh, mainly fine, very hot with a top temperature of around 34 degrees, uh, isolated showers. The outlook is for uh, squally thunderstorms tomorrow and sunny intervals and thunderstorms over the weekend. And welcome back to Back Chats with Andrew Work and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about the expansion of the Shanghai Economic uh, Cooperation Zone and what opportunities there may be there for uh, Hong Kong businesses. Um, before we uh, return to our guests, uh, um, well, actually, this is from uh, Facebook. Um, Henry's left a message on our Facebook saying, uh, mm. as a layman, I found the announcement of uh, Shanghai and Heng Chin uh, plans uh, signal a faster development pace of the Greater Bay Area, given the success of the uh, NSL facilitating more efficient governance and mainland high-level officials repeatedly saying that if Hong Kong misses this opportunity, who knows if there are similar opportunities in future and that even slow progress means falling behind, we must seriously grasp the opportunities in the plan. The plan has set out goals for 2025 and 2035 and when one sees how China accomplishes the goals it sets for various milestone dates in the past, I would say one should expect rigorous advancement and integration going forward. I expect uh, mainland would provide the driving force uh, more than Hong Kong. Mainland is renowned for boldness and excellent implementation. Of course, there are many nitty-gritty 
pretty things to sort out differences in law, procedures, etc. I guess as the GBA advances, there would be more bolder integration plans in future. The State Bureau has bold plans for GBA to surpass Tokyo Bay and San Francisco Bay. Mm. Um, uh, thank you uh, to Henry. Uh, we have with us um, Frederick Golub, the chairman of the European Chamber of Commerce, and now also on the line, Tarek Dennison, um, wealth manager at GFM Asset Management. Um, 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 Tarek Dennison, um, good morning to you. Good morning, um, Jim. What opportunities do you see in the expansion of the Shanghai zone for your area of industry? Well, I can speak for financial services. I mean, I mean, I'm a Type Nine licensed fund manager here in Hong Kong, and for years we've actually been looking at what forms of integration we can actually see, feel, touch, and use, rather than just see as opportunity. We don't want it to be one of these opportunities that's always announced and always talked about, and we can never actually implement. But the tangible examples of opportunity that I've already seen play out for the past several years has been Stock Connect, and then later Bond Connect. You probably remember in 2014, um, we fund companies in Hong Kong have been able to buy. By Shanghai listed A shares uh, with no QFI quota since 2016. Mm -hmm. Shenzhen listed A shares with no QFI quota. Bond Connect uh, largely opened up the bond market to us. And the thing we're all talking about now and all waiting for details on is Wealth Connect, uh, which is the ability to create funds that will be able to go sell to mainland clients in renminbi and convert and invest offshore uh, and vice versa as well. We've also been talking about things like ETF Connect and, and so forth. Now, in terms of the list of features we're looking for in Shanghai, a lot of what we've heard is the ability to go and set up an office there and run using our Hong Kong license without having to get a fresh new CR CSRC license. I don't know if you quite call that like a limited sandbox or you know, a limited license, a limited halfway point, but in many ways, it's, a, it's kind of an extension of what Hong Kong always is. I mean, Hong Kong you know, is China, it's in China, but it has privileges of being a slightly different system with lower taxes, easier immigration, um, you know, convertible currency, and so forth. So I think the optimists of us in the business are looking for a best of both worlds expansion. Um, you know, as mentioned earlier, an area that was a quarter of the size of Hong uh, Kong, Hong Kong Island now becoming double the size of Hong Kong Island. Mm -hmm. You know, we had uh, Holox on before we was talking. We, had, we talked a little bit about currency controls before you got on, Terry. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when you talk about mainland Chinese, this, well, you know, uh, the wealth management, people investing offshore, does, it, does that become a hole through which a lot of money rushes out of China? Or are they going to, I mean, presumably they would see that coming and would not let that happen. I mean, how do they regulate that flow of currency if they're going to make it a really valuable opportunity for mainlanders to invest outside of China through Xinhai? Well, again, I think Stock Connect and Bond Connect provide an excellent clue on how the mainland government has managed it brilliantly so far. I mean, if you look at why did Southeast Asian countries get into so much trouble in 1997, 1998, it was because they didn't have proper management of their currency, the ability of their banks to borrow in foreign currency and lend onshore, whereas Stock Connect has showed the ability to set up a closed loop system. So let's say, for example, you live in Shenzhen, you want to buy, you know, a U.S., you know, a fund invested in U.S. stocks or European stocks. Mm. Well, rather than just letting you convert your currency and say bye-bye to it forever, it goes in a closed-loop system where it's registered and there's a mechanism for you being able to get the money out. And the exact same for foreign investors who want to get their money into China. There's a closed-loop system where if I want to buy shares of Guizhou Maotai, I buy it on Stock Connect, and if I sell it, it automatically comes back through that mechanism. It doesn't let me sell those shares and go take it out and 
buy a property onshore. Mm. So that level of control is really quite brilliant in allowing a way of slowly opening up the currency while still maintaining uh, protections against the hot money and, and other things that comes with it. In my view, the space to watch here is the digital yuan. Mm. Um, because people, again, it's people who have been talking about it. I've yet to get it installed on my phone and, and be able to actually spend one. But when you think about it, a digital yuan basically means you no longer have to worry about where the yuan is because it's all digital code where the ability to to, you know, put speed bumps and other controls in place to prevent hot money flows um, is all written into the system. Mm -hmm. I just finished my second report. Uh, it's in, it's in, this, in the draft phase right now with the Friedrich Nauman Foundation. We'll have to uh, see, see, keep an eye out for that one when it comes on the, the digital RMB. Frederick Golub, are your members, uh, which of your members are, are coming to the fore to ask about Shanghai? Is it the, the people in the construction sector who want to get in on building out this thing? Is it your members in the financial sector? who you know, have ideas about what should happen. Who, who are you hearing from the most? Yeah, construction is definitely a good example. Uh, so we have also new companies coming into Hong Kong with the target uh, going into Guangdong, and, and Shanghai is a good, good place to, to, to target for that. Um, financial industry is, is a, is a no-brainer. Um, that's, that's very clear. We have um, many of our members are in, in, in the law practice. Uh, so I think we... we this is why we also decided to to put GBA at the forefront of, of our topics besides COVID stuff, which is certainly mm. the, the largest concern at the moment operationally. But from a strategic perspective, um, it is GBA and GBA only at the moment. Uh, and our focus is really uh, uh, trying to get a grip on how exactly can we make it happen? And, and can we also tell our members um, where to focus on and also bring forward the concerns of, of our members in terms of what kind of regulation uh, they would need? And this is uh, listening to Tariq, it's, it's, it's great because um, we have all those experts um, in, in, in the financial sectors, but in other sectors as well, who can help us doing this. And this is actually partly of, of what a chamber should, should be doing, and this is why we're doing it. Um, and, and looking forward to more discussion with uh, government institutions, uh, experts on all sides um, to, to create also a platform to, to really flesh out what is needed now to make it happen as quickly as possible. You mentioned the construction industry. Obviously, there's a lot of construction going on there at the moment, but uh, um, the, the zone is primarily uh, for uh, development of the service industry. I mean, is, is, it, uh, is it a long-term proposition for the construction industry? Well, I think this is a massive area. So, and, and, and Shenzhen and, and Greater Bay Area itself is uh, a, a mega city cluster. So, by definition, we will not be finished constructing there uh, in one or two years from now. This is a, a decade, uh, several decades of work. Um, we have a lot to offer from a technology perspective in the construction sector as, a, as European companies uh, when it comes to also decarbonization in the construction industry. Um, uh, a lot of AI uh, investments into construction uh, is, is being uh, done in Europe, in fact. So uh, I think we have a lot to offer there, and this is not going to be over very soon. So the, the, there's a long-term potential here, and, and this is what we also focus on, um, besides seeing what's really happening on the ground. But we prepare our members for long-term growth in the Greater Bay Area. So uh, someone said earlier, it's, it's a fantastic opportunity. Yes, I fully agree. It's a fantastic opportunity. It, you, you dropped the S word in there, sustainability. Is it, is, isn't this going to be mostly landfill? I mean, is there a reason it has to be here and filling up the ocean? Is there, is there not a reason they couldn't put it somewhere else on you know, what is currently land? 
Um, I, uh, you're asking the wrong person. Um, uh, I, I haven't been across the border for a long time, so I've, I've, yeah. I, I feed myself with pictures uh, from, from the news media. Uh, so I, I wouldn't really know. Um, and I'm certainly not a landfill expert. Well, as uh, somebody who spends quite a bit of time looking at maps and valuing every square foot of real estate I can uh, you know, have access to, I mean, I can certainly tell you it's just the value of where the location is. I mean, look at what happened, what's happened to Victoria Harbor over the past hundred years. It's become narrow and deeper. And why is that? It's because that specific real estate, that location is very, very valuable. And if you look at the Pearl River Delta, being able to do a somewhat similar thing, saying, well, we want something that's closer to Zhuhai, closer to Macau, closer to that bridge, possibly able to get a, a second ramp that will let us to connect there, is very, very valuable. And otherwise, what is that you know, area covered in water worth economically, probably not quite as much. Um, so, I mean, I, I think we're going to see, you know, pluses and minuses on the, the, what we've seen in Hong Kong, namely narrower and deeper, and uh, that's the way to develop. Yeah. Um, yeah, Frederick Golub, uh, you, you mentioned just now one or two things, uh, one or two areas of expertise that uh, European businesses uh, could bring to the table. Uh, could you go into that a, l a little bit more? Like what can what uh, what 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 specific uh, expertise um, do European businesses have that could that could help in the development of the mainland economy? Yeah, I give you one more example. Um, I think where we have a lot of discussion uh, um, is in the, for example, waste management sector. Um, we have in Europe uh, a lot of expertise and also companies already operating at larger scale in Hong Kong but could be operating at much larger scale in the GBA, uh, also making uh, Hong Kong itself a more sustainable place. Because if, for example, you talk about recycling, uh, plastic recycling, glass recycling, uh, aluminium recycling, Hong Kong itself is too small to set up a big operation, so a recycling operation. It is too small. Um, and therefore, in order to really tap into that potential from a sustainability perspective, but also from an economical perspective, uh, there is a potential in opening this up uh, as a Greater Bay eff uh, effort, in fact, and, and, and use the potential of Greater Bay rather than focus on Hong Kong only, where the scale is simply not existing. So as, that's one example which I find very striking. Uh, we can go into the uh, uh, vehicle sector, private vehicles for, uh, or commercial vehicles, doesn't really matter. We will see a, a vast amount of batteries uh, uh, coming up in... in seven, eight, ten years of time who would have to be disposed, remanufactured, recycled. Um, this is something where Hong Kong alone is too small, but GBA could, could be a, a great powerhouse uh, where the adoption rates of electric vehicles, for example, are already very high. So Shenzhen is one of the highest density of electric vehicles in, in mainland China right now. Uh, Hong Kong is a perfect place for an electric vehicle, for example. So we need to also think about the, the, well, the, the responsibility on the one hand side, but also the opportunities from a, from a business perspective on the other side. And in my humble opinion, this works much better in GBA rather than only in Hong Kong. And you're going to put that on your list of requests, EVs only in the Shanghai area. <laughs> well, uh, actually, I've long argued it should be autonomous vehicles only. If there was ever a part of the world that could say we're going to ban human drivers and show how we can eliminate traffic forever, it should be here. I object. <laughs> um, I love driving. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a driver. Uh, I hope I can be a driver. But where I would agree is I think autonomous uh, transportation uh, in, in public transports, but also in private uh, individual transportation and individual mobility will be a great add-on. Um, but I would love to take 
my car out for a nice drive. <laughs> so maybe, maybe just for Chin Hai for now, so you can still drive in Hong Kong. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we he'll can, he'll can... always have scenic places to drive, but I don't, I don't like him. I don't like sitting in traffic. So yeah. take that part away and then go let me you know, drive you know, somewhere scenic on a ridge. I'll take that. So. Agreed. Gotcha. Taken. Yeah, okay, we, we, we can start to see this Chin Hai come together now. I'm starting to see a plan come together. <laughs> Um, uh, Tarek Dennison, yeah, we, we've seen extraordinary development uh, in uh, Shenzhen as a whole over the past uh, few decades. Um, um, any lessons for Hong Kong there? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say because even though they're you know right across the border from each other, it really is apples and oranges. I mean, the international stereotype is that Hong Kong is the software and Shenzhen is the hardware. Shenzhen was able to take advantage of you know much much lower wages and the ability to build factories, and it's basically become the place where all of our smartphones and air conditioners or everything are all going to be manufactured, and the accountants who are counting all the beans are going to sit on on this side of the border. Now, I think what we have to look forward to longer term is just greater and greater integration uh, because we. We've already seen mainland manufacturing move way up the value chain um, to a point where wages there are no longer low. A lot of that is now getting shifted to Vietnam, Bangladesh, and other places. And there are lots of very smart people up there with PhDs who either want to be accountants or, you know, nuclear engineers and, and other things and develop the next wave of batteries that haven't even been developed in Europe or the U.S. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, if, if you think about the the size of the mainland population and uh, and people with PhDs, mm -hmm. I mean, Hong Kong is just dwarfed by that, isn't it? I mean, um, are, are we be able to you know, going to be able to compete uh, on a on a level playing field going forward? Uh, well, I really hate talking about politics on this show, but for the first nine years I lived here, there was no politics in Hong Kong. And if I were to define any political divide in Hong Kong over the past two years, it's simply between those that see greater integration with the mainland as a good thing versus those that see greater integration with the mainland as a bad thing. If your job is sitting in Hong Kong and pushing paper around and really relying on the old system to kind of keep things gummed up, the greater integration is not really good for you. If, on the other hand, you're fully plugged into the new digital world, into robotics, into electronic payments and so on. You know, I would much rather have a market of 80 million than a market of 7 million. So um, it really just depends on where you make your money and what side of it your bread is buttered on. Yeah. Yeah. Frederick Golaby, are your members now looking, uh, well, well, I mean, you said before, the, the, the potential of the Greater Bay Area is there. It, it's huge. Um, are most of your members thinking that way? They're thinking beyond the borders of Hong Kong? Um, most members think beyond the borders of Hong Kong. Most of our members have either an APAC business or a, a mainland China-focused business. Um, a few members have a Hong Kong-only business, so generating all their revenues from Hong Kong only, but that's I would say, is a, is a minority of our members. Mm -hmm. So really, the vast majority of our members have a, not only an open eye and open ears uh, outside of Hong Kong, but also actually in P&L, which is being driven uh, from uh, international trade, uh, China trade, APEC trade, and so forth. So I think um, this is something where... Um, uh, Hong Kong's ability to integrate itself um, in something like the Greater Bay Area is is an important, very important element. Um, Hong Kong as a place, uh, uh, an, an open place for uh, trade and, and business in across Asia is another important element. So for me, Hong Kong is this big linkage between the mainland and many places in Asia and globally. Um, uh, this show is not really about that point, but at the moment we all feel that this kind of function is not really working because we're all kind of 
together in Hong Kong and not going anywhere anytime soon for business or for leisure. Um, so, so our imminent focus is really on reactivating this function of Hong Kong as being this in and out place. And this is not only true for financial flows. Um, this is also true for, for people movement um, in private and in business. And if we get this back, uh, then we can refocus and, 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 and really make uh, not only Qinghai happen, but also Greater Bay Area happen and, and, and revive this place, which is, is needed. Hong Kong has the potential. Uh, we, are, we are positive about Hong Kong uh, uh, for the, for the long-term uh, future, definitely. Uh, and there has been made very clever investments. And I mentioned the airport before. This is a very uh, uh, long-term investment which will pay out, uh, not only for cargo, but also for passenger and, and further linking into Greater Bay Area and making Hong Kong eventually stronger if we keep the pace in Hong Kong. Okay, well, thank you uh, both very much for taking part in our conversation this morning. Uh, that was Frederick Golub, you heard there, who's chairman of the European Chamber of Commerce. Uh, thanks very much to Tarek Dennison, uh, wealth manager at GFM Asset Management. And uh, before the break, uh, thank you to uh, Whitman Hung, who's principal liaison officer for Hong Kong at the Shenzhen Shanghai Authority, and also National People's Congress deputy, and also to uh, Ho Lok San, who's uh, director of the Pantutong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. And uh, for the last uh, 10 minutes of the programme, we're going to be looking at uh, a related topic, uh, which is the, uh, the third runway at Hong Kong International Airport, uh, which uh, held... Uh, uh, an update uh, this week about uh, progress uh, on the construction. It's due to open um, sometime next year. It should be operational in the second half of next year. Um, to talk about that, we're joined uh, on the line by Akim Cherney, Associate Professor at the Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies at Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Um, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, you're welcome. So the third airport runway is due to come uh, online um, second half of next year, as mentioned, but, um, but all three runways won't be operating at once at, initially, will they? Yes, mm. that's right. That's yeah. right. That's what I said. Yeah, I think mm. the opening, the uh, completion of the whole third runway project will be in 20, expected for 2024. And as far as I understand, then uh, all the construction is going well, so according to plan. So, yeah, I think 2024 is, is, is the time. So, Professor Cherney, can you bring a little light to this? Because the, the headlines yesterday were, you know, uh, third runway finished. And then you read it and says, oh, the paving of the third runway's tarmac is finished, but it won't open until middle of next year. I mean, that, that's a little confusing. What, what, what was the ceremony like when they said it was finished, but it's not really finished? I mean, what, what's the situation? Well, I'm not... Yeah, so as far as I understand, so they're always, okay, so there's a, uh, the new runway, uh, but then there's also some work needs to be done on the old runway, so then they open the new runway and then they sort of repl uh, uh, use the, 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 um, this in order to do the uh, construction modifications of the old runway. So that, yeah, so that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think the the north runway is going to be uh, uh, redeveloped um, as as the, well. It'll be the middle runway um, by the time that all three are in operation by 2024. But um, yeah, uh, uh, so how is this going to affect 
Hong Kong's position as a, uh, an aviation hub um, when we have all three runways working? Because it's getting to be a pretty crowded airspace now, isn't it? Right, right. I think the airspace issue, uh, everyone is aware of it. I think they need to find ways to it. But I, what I you know, really like the previous speakers, I think they put it very clearly. Uh, they said that uh, Hong Kong is supposed to be a bridge to Asia and the rest of the world. And the airport certainly is, a, is, is the main connection, so to say, for this is crucial for this. So, um, and uh, yeah, so uh, this is, this is a, an extremely important project for Hong Kong, and it's good that it will be finished in 2024. Mm -hmm. This is the time where we expect that the air transport will be recovering. Uh, we don't we don't really know, but uh, because things are sort of difficult to predict. Uh, but uh, I think this is actually in terms of timing. That is something that I find very interesting in terms of timing. Actually, the timing of the pandemic. Uh, if, if you look for the bright side, so to say, isn't so bad. Uh, if it would have been started in 2024, 20, that would have been uh, the much bigger disaster. It's a disaster right now, but uh, the very fact that we hope that it will be sort of, that we will overcome the issue by 2024, and this is also the time that the airport will be um, finishing the, this, this construction work, uh, and uh, be fully fully functional, so to say. I think that is uh, this is interesting and uh, uh, sort of some coincidence, which is in favour of, of of Hong Kong in this sense. Mm, so yeah. the timing could be good. Yeah. And I mean, this this is kind of a, a business for business sake, isn't it? I mean, like people from Hong Kong prior to COVID, I mean, people in Hong Kong weren't having trouble getting in and out of Hong Kong or going places, right? It's just, is, is the idea just to grow the airport, just to have it as an, a generator of economic activity? Of course, of course. Yeah, you yeah. Know, people usually, they don't travel for the sake of traveling, right? I mean, uh, you do it either very often in Hong Kong, of course, for business reasons, but then also leisure reasons. I mean, Hong Kong is a prime tourist destination uh, and uh, yeah so for the airport is crucial for these for these, for Hong Kong, yeah, but I, the I Hong mean, Kong economy. We, we, our, our economy was not being restrained or people weren't being unable to take holidays or travel for business at the previous capacity of the airport. Uh, that's not quite accurate. I really? Yeah, yeah. Um, you see, um, I don't want to be too technical, but there is, airlines cannot simply fly to Hong Kong. They cannot say, for instance, Turkish Airlines. Yeah. They say, oh, we have our customers and we have passengers and we know that there is a lot of demand from Istanbul to Hong Kong. Mm. And therefore, we want to schedule more flights, but uh, they cannot. Uh, why? Uh, of course, pre-COVID. So why not? Sure. And this is because of the two runways, they can handle a certain number of flights. Uh, altogether, I think the number was a two-runway system. They had more than 400,000 flights per year. Mm. And that is, this is about the amount of flights that they can handle. Now, if Turkish Airlines thinks, oh, we want to add another flight, they won't be allowed to do so because there are such a thing as called sort of airport slots. You can sort of think about it as a permission to use sure. the infrastructure of the airport. Mm -hmm. And because the capacity is limited, these perm the number of those available permissions is also limited. So why do you do this? Well, because otherwise, if you don't have these 
number of permissions. If every airline, if Turkish airline would be just saying, oh, we are flying to Hong Kong no matter what, and if Hong Kong wouldn't, wouldn't uh, care, in this situation, this would create a lot of congestion. So you would have a lot of aircraft flying in the air, long delays, uh, which is costly, inconvenient for passengers and for the airline. So, and then this is the reason why many airports, a lot of the biggest airports in the world are sort of having this kind of systems that they limit the access of airlines to the airport mm. if they have capacity issues, which is the case, which is the case, which was the case for Hong Kong previous uh, pre-pandemic. Do we have the gates at the airport or the gate the gate capacity to match the new capacity that we will have when we have all three runways? At full bore, or are we going to have people? Are we going to have buses pulling up to airplanes on the tarmac, and people having to get out, get on the bus, kind of zip in and out well, of the gate? Well, I, 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 I trust. I trust that the whole project is that Hong Kong International Airport. The people are very capable, so to say, and they understand. We do not only need a runway; we need uh, people mover. We need terminal capacity. We need uh, new parking for aircraft, and so on and so forth. So yes, I, I. I Yeah, I think there's a major redevelopment of Terminal 2 going on as well, mm. isn't there? So, so yeah. Um, so th there are actually eight uh, airports in the Pearl River Delta region. Um, six more are being planned. Um, is, is, do you think Hong Kong will be able to you know, maintain its uh, status as a, you know, um, you know, a top uh, aviation hub? Yeah, that is, this is always an issue. <laughs> sort of worried. They say, ah, uh, you know, the, we have the Greater Area and Guangzhou and Shenzhen and so on and so forth. Um, but then also one of the previous speakers said, you know, this is the population of 80 million people we're talking about in the Greater Bay Area. Mm. Now, how can you think that you can serve the whole population with only one big international airport? It's just not making sense. So, uh, yeah, so there will be many, there will be bigger airports, and there will be other airports that are also big and having international traffic in, in the greater Bay Area and the mainland. And uh, yeah, but there is so much demand. So still, uh, there's, uh, Hong Kong will have its, its place uh, as an international uh, hub. And uh, so I think I'm not too worried about that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of demand. There is more capacity coming. But the issue is, uh, if you have a lot of capacity and no demand, then of course you you fight hard for for for, for the passengers, for the cargo, and so on and so forth. Okay. Uh, but there's a lot of demand, uh, and not now, of course. But uh, you know, once uh, the pandemic will sort of we will know how to handle it better, then I think uh, that there's this is not a concern that I would have. Okay, well, thanks very much for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, Akim Cherney there, Associate Professor at the Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies at Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Okay, uh, thank you very much uh, to our listeners, um, and uh, thanks to you, Andrew. My pleasure. Okay, and uh, just before we go to the news summary and morning brew, a quick look at the weather. It's going to be mainly fine and hot, with a top temperature around 34 degrees, isolated showers and thunderstorms later, light to moderate east to northeasterly winds. The outlook, there will be thunderstorms tomorrow, sunny intervals and more thunderstorms over the weekend. It's currently 30 degrees, humidity 67% and the very hot weather warning is in effect.
The Labor Department will hold a large-scale job expo under the theme Building a Multicultural Workplace at Southhorn Stadium in Wan Chai on September 14th and 15th. More than 40 employers will offer a wide range of job vacancies and accept applications on the spot. Please visit the Labor Department website at www.jobs.gov.hk or call 2153-3982 for details. The news summary with Vicky Wong. An artist and architect says it will be a challenge to open a contemporary arts museum in the midst of a pandemic which has been badly crippled, which has a badly crippled tourist sector. The, a respiratory medical expert says exchanging COVID exposure records is one of the things mainland and local authorities have to work on before both sides can lift border restrictions. And more than three weeks after leaving Afghanistan, the former president Ashraf Ghani has released a statement about why he fled the country when the Taliban took Kabul. I'll have more on these stories at 10 o'clock. Thanks, Vicky. And yes, good morning. It is Morning Brew. And this is James Ross. In for the day, for Phil. Three and a half hours of music and chat is up and coming.